often they tell you that as a business owner, you can't get into the, the world of emotion. And I, I think that's, that's not the case at all. You can care for your people and, and you can be emotional. And I, I think that's an archaic way of, of thinking that you can't, you can't care for your people. And, and so early on, you hear that, but we've been very vulnerable and very honest and, and our people have been receptive to that. Welcome to the Power of Respect podcast with Charlie Likewise, author of The Power of Respect in Business. Charlie is one of America's foremost authorities on respect and leadership development in family business. And now, here's Charlie. Hello, I'm Charlie Likewise. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Respect podcast. Today, we are talking about the power of respect in company culture and human storytelling. My guest today is Jared Latch. Jared has worked in broadcasting, media, and digital for over 20 years. In 2011, he took a chance and went all in as a co-founder and chief operating officer of Spiracle Media. Spiracle is a Charlotte-based agency that specializes in delivering powerful, results-driven videos and digital content. They specialize in video storytelling for social media content, large-scale video production, and original content short films. Spiracle Media was recognized in 2020 as an Inc. 5000 company, and in addition, Spiracle has been named one of the best companies to work for in Charlotte for four straight years. Jared graduated from Walsh University with a degree in corporate communication, and he's also a graduate of the Harvard Business School's Management Development Program. Jared is a native of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and currently resides in Harrisburg, North Carolina, with his wife, JC, and three children, Judson, Landon, and Karis. Jared, welcome. Charlie, thank you so much. Glad to be with you. I noticed, Jared, in your website, you state that you, quote, strive to maintain a culture where everyone is valued. Now, that statement is very much in line with the concepts and practice of respect that we call the leadership of respect. And that's part of the, the, the subject of this kind of a podcast. Perhaps you could describe your culture and, and tell us a little bit about your core values. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of what we look to build from the beginning. Uh, my co-founder, there were three co-founders originally, not to get too much into that story now, uh, but myself and Tim Baer now currently here, two of the three that are left. It was really important for us to establish a culture in which people were valued. There was going to be flexibility in lifestyle. Uh, we came from the regional TV world and the local television world where those things were very blurry and and people weren't respected. They were looked at as just cogs in the wheel that needed to produce a certain amount of content. And so we wanted to create something different uh, that valued people's time. Uh, we wanted to, to pay them well. We just wanted this quality of life. And as we've gone on, we've added to that quality of life in the form of, of something that I think has been fantastic. And that's uh, this culture of care and a care team that's responsible, not only internally to take care of people, but externally and giving back in the community and volunteering and serving together. So that is along the lines of, of the culture that we have, we have wanted to create. And, and it is creating an environment where people feel comfortable speaking up when they have a need or when they, they naturally want to check on one of their coworkers. So we've seen the fruits of, of that effort. And it, it certainly takes effort in itself to continue that and maintain it at a certain level of awareness. But that, that is built on, on respecting people 
when they are in these walls and outside of those walls. You know, it seems that the, the role of respect not only plays, as you described, in terms of treating your own associates and the culture within your company, the concept of you helping people tell their stories is also has a role of respect relative to their story and, and respect for them and, and their experiences that they're trying to communicate. It certainly does. And, and that's a great point to make that connection because when we go into a situation, we want a story, especially a compelling story and, and, and somebody's story. We want to take that in a purposeful way and tell that story out of respect for them as the characters that live this or the organization that's making an impact. Uh, we respect the story greatly and we want to have that authenticity. We hear that all the time, but we want that to translate from their story to the end viewer and the people that are going to take in the story. And, and you have to respect it, number one, because with that respect, you have a certain level of investment uh, in it and you're taking it seriously and it means you care about it and, and all that stuff works well and it, it populates within the process then naturally. But yes, that respect is key. Uh, and, and respecting the story and the people that are a part of it and the characters so that you can then authentically tell it. Yeah, I think that has a, has a very much big meaning to the people who see that when they can understand and feel the, the fact that the people in it are real and that they're genuine and that they're helping you with their story, if that's the case. Yeah. So you have an interesting career, you know, sports broadcasting, media production, obviously, et cetera. You know, tell me about your journey to a leadership role. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. I never thought that I would be in a position where I was a, a business owner. Uh, some of the other things that I had the opportunity to do, and it all started in college. I, I went away to play baseball at Walsh University and was on a partial academic, partial athletic scholarship and, and really was undeclared through my freshman year on what I wanted to do. Uh, during my sophomore year, I looked at the elective options, and I saw that Sports broadcasting was an elective, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool in itself. And, and I thought, well, it's, it's probably also pretty easy. That was, that was my thinking <laughs> uh, for electing that opportunity. But when I went in there and I started to get into the repetition and the opportunity and what the class was all about and the actual broadcasting aspect, I was pretty good at it. And the, the person that was in charge of it was the, the radio voice of the university. And he approached me one day and he said, hey, would you ever consider doing play-by-play -play or being a backup for this local AM station that was carrying the Walsh games? And I, I'd never thought about that in my life. Now, my mom would remind me later that playing sports video games, I would announce essentially sitting there in the beanbag. So I guess inside me, I had this in my subconscious or in the background, but that was the first step. You know, I, I took on that, that class. I ended up doing some local radio work. I would end up only being on the baseball within the baseball program for a couple of years and sort of pivoted in that broadcast direction. So then I was doing some minor league baseball games with at the time with the Akron Arrows. They were the double A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. I did some radio work in Cleveland as well. And then right out of school, or I should say in the tail end of school, I, I went to intern in Washington, DC. And it was a it was a political related but media internship. And I had the opportunity to work at the White House for a couple months and the Capitol, and I just wanted to expose myself to something else in broadcasting. And then as I left, I was actually, I was just cutting grass at the school to earn a couple of dollars and I was doing the radio stuff, but I had a, a close uh, family friend and neighbor back home 
who was in local television in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And he gave me a call out of the blue and he said, hey, I know you have a passion for this broadcasting thing. We have a news reporter opening at the NBC station back in my hometown. He said, would you be interested in that? And again, it was another moment where I didn't expect that at all. I didn't even think about TV, even though I was interested in the radio part of it. So I went back, I worked in my home market for four years, got to cover some amazing stuff like a Super Bowl with the Steelers and in sports there in Western PA is fantastic. So I had that opportunity. And then four years in, I ended up, my contract was up, was renegotiating. I wasn't making anything at that point, but I tried to get to a certain level and they, they said, we can do it. And they came back and, and they didn't get there. And so I was going to step away from that business and Cox Communications owned the station in Charlotte, WSOC-TV, which was an ABC affiliate. That's what got me to Charlotte. And, and so I, I came to Charlotte to work and continue to work in, in local television as, as talent in sports. And I met uh, Tim Bear and also Bill Voth, who was an original co-founder. And, and we got to talking about ideas. We loved Charlotte. We didn't want to go anywhere. And we thought that we could leverage our relationships with athletes because social media was still on the upward swing and the curve at that point that we could help them leverage their voice. They didn't need us as much at the local level unless they wanted to amplify their message, but we weren't essential anymore like we were in the past. And so that's what really got us in and got us started. And in a couple of years in, we went to all video and, and that's where we are now, almost 13 years into the game. But that is the the, the quick summary or, or medium versed summary of the beginning of my career and how it translated. We wanted to take the skills and the tools that we learned in media and bring them to the, the business arena. And, and that's where we are today. No, that's, that's great. And one of the things you talked about learning, obviously, is how you created the culture for your company today. And you mentioned earlier that sometimes in the broadcasting business, it can be rather, I guess I'll throw my word in their cutthroat uh, relative to how they deal with people. So perhaps you could share some examples of, of what you saw in terms of when you saw respect work for people and motivate them versus when you saw respect that perhaps was uh, the other side of that learning curve. Uh, again, without mentioning names, of course, but perhaps you could share some of those examples. Sure. I, I think one example of respect working well were in the relationships that, that reporters had with with different officials, uh, different people within uh, even the sports world that we dealt with, where you could get uh, different scoops and information. And there was a respect that was, you know, breached trust. They're all connected in my mind and they've got, they have to work together. Uh, but for them to share information with you and, and then to respect you enough to think that you're going to do the right thing uh, with it. So those type of relationships and, and getting different access for interviews was built on a respect of what you were doing and the position you were in and, and vice versa. I think where, where it didn't work sometimes were certain assignment editors who they just wanted quantity and, and they didn't even think about, you know, that you were in the hamster wheel and the grind or what else you had going on. There was this expectation that just go do it. They didn't think about the whole picture. Sometimes they negated the travel time. They just expected you to magically show up in places and gather information. And I, I think in that way, there was a lack of respect for your position, your time specifically, and all the other things you had on your plate. It was, it was as if they wanted you to magically create these things when 
the bandwidth really wasn't there. There were they were unrealistic unrealistic asks. And I, I think if there was more respect there, they would have they would have understood, you know, what certain people were going to or going through and and what was needed in the moment. Right. And and that that kind of environment can lead to some negative things in the workplace. Uh, for example, I'm sure it had a negative effect on productivity. I'm sure it had a negative effect on turnover potentially and things like that. Um, and I'm sure you saw those things happening within within your path and career path. You absolutely did, Charlie. And you hit it on the head. Turnover is very high uh, at, at many levels within the media business. And it's because there is this propensity for burnout. And it's created in that environment where oftentimes there's, there's a lack of respect that sometimes I think is just a byproduct of the way that industry has worked for a long time. And and that's not to negate that there are, are a lot of good people that work there and a lot of the colleagues, but from up top, that's that's often the way that these these shops were run, you know, they, and they had to they had to hit a certain quota. And I, I understand that, like in any business, but the, the treatment uh, could have been a lot better, you know, down the line because it, it really trickled down and it made it a, a tough environment. To work, and I used to say that I was I was spared quite a bit because sports was a lot friendlier, and the news because the news people had to deal with a lot of a lot of tough topics, and they had to hit a lot of content, and they were on timelines. And when you mix those things in, they they instantly create some friction. Yeah, what what we find in our business, helping and coaching businesses and leaders on this subject, is that when when respect is given and therefore earned in return. The, the changes, the positive changes are sustainable as well, as well as the results of that organization going forward. So sometimes it takes an investment as you described in, in, in the beginning, but that investment pays off in spades in terms of ability to do things well and provide and produce results that are very sustainable going forward. So in, as a leader, and you've been in a leadership role now for a while, in fact, you were probably in a leadership role relative to your participation in sports to the, to the degree that you participated. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced as a leader and, and how did you tackle them? I think some of the, the biggest challenges, and, and these are not some that just go away, you know, they're continual things that I need to be aware of and, and work at. And you just hope that you get consistent at, at the positive rather than uh, falling behind in some of these areas. I think that some, one of the things that I, I took for granted earlier, tried to force upon people was that I, I had this expectation that they should think like an entrepreneur and a business owner. And, and that's not the case for people that aren't business owners. And, and very rarely are you gonna find people with certain entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we may think that way, uh, but they're not gonna think the same way. And they're not gonna, have the same uh, investment level uh, in your company or in your thinking. So I think I used to get frustrated uh, with individuals because I, I expected them to think the same way as I do. And, and that's not the case at all. So I, I think that diversity of thought and being open to everybody's positioning, uh, not holding it against them at all, it is, that's one of the things that I've had to get better with. I think another thing that has been a challenge from a leadership standpoint is really making sure that people understand what you're communicating to them. I think we can make assumptions that we're speaking very clearly. Uh, they may hear it, but they don't, they don't understand the ramifications specific to their world. 
it's it's hard for them always to see the big picture, but they may hear it and you think they understand it, but then they revert back to a certain type of behavior. Or you go later and you're like, I, I've said this six months in the making, but they still don't get it. So I think there's a better understanding or, or a way of clarifying and affirming with them that, hey, do you do you really understand or what questions do you have that that I've fallen short on? I, I think some of the successful leadership has has been myself being vulnerable and being real and honest and having real relationships. Often they tell you that as a business owner, you can't get into the the world of emotion. And I, I think that's that's not the case at all. You can care for your people and and you can be emotional. And I, I think that's an archaic way of of thinking that you can't you can't care for your people. And, and so early on you hear that, but we've been very vulnerable and very honest and and our people have been receptive to that. They know that we're going to be real with them. So I, I think in those ways we are succeeding. The others are past failures that I have to work at, at getting better at. And I have to be aware of that as a leader. And I have to I have to keep plugging away. Uh, but those are just a few examples that, that come to my mind of things to work on that are getting better and, and, and some things that have been good. Yeah, no, I think it's a great example of some communication techniques and self-awareness, which is really key for leadership roles, for people to be able to create a culture of respect and become an effective communicator as a leader. Um, regarding the emotional side of things and whether or not emotions can be part of it, I agree with your examples that it can. Uh, in our world, we describe it as leadership as an equal emphasis on results and relationships. And so the result side of it, and, and I'm an analytical person, so clearly I can do those in my sleep. I have to concentrate on the relationship side and building that to understand who I'm talking to, how I should be talking to that person and communicating the needs for results that they can go out and, and actually attain. So I think that's important. So tell me about a leader that's most influenced you. Yeah, I would say that in the leadership category, uh, this really goes back. And as I was thinking about it, it goes back to my my grandfather, who was early on. I, I called him Pap. He was he was one of my best friends, which might sound odd for a grandparent, but he, he really was. And, you know, my parents were there and everything like that. Uh, he was a colonel in the military. And as I sat down and I, I looked at what not only he accomplished professionally, but it was in his deep care for people. Uh, he had a passion for people and talking to him about his time in the military and serving in World War II and Korea. And he was a tank battalion leader later down the line during the Cold War in, in Russia. But what it always came back to is he said it was it was all about my men. It was all about my team. It was never about him. And I found that incredible in a position of leadership. And I knew it was real because he never, he never put the emphasis on himself. He always deflected the credit. And I think that's what, what great leaders do. And, and that was influential, influential to me to see just his, his care for everybody. He got out of, when he got out of the military after I think it was at least 30 years of service, that carried over into, into public service and public works and where he volunteered and within his family, there was just this deep-seated care. And it didn't matter who the people were, and it didn't matter if if there were varying beliefs that didn't take away from, from his respect for everybody and the way he he loved on people and he wanted to take care of them. 
Uh, so he was the one that really set the tone for me, you know, when I was in college and still to this day. Uh, he's gone now and he's been gone for six or seven years. But there's a part of me that always in the back of my head, never wanted to uh, make him disappointed. I always wanted to make him proud. And, and we had this mutual admiration for each other. So it was a really neat reciprocal relationship uh, that we, we loved each other deeply. But he was that example uh, for me as, as a man. And I don't know if he ever knew that uh, because we had this such a special relationship. Uh, but I, I put him in that mentor category just because of who he was and, and he led by example and action. No, oh, that is a, a great example and a very personal one. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, in the description of, of care and results going together, it doesn't get any clearer than that. When you think of the results in a military sense, they can be life and death. And that care can be a part of that as well is an important lesson to people that that you can have both of those elements go into your leadership style and how you how you achieve results. So if you're if you're speaking to an upcoming leader, now you've described some of the things you've learned and, and what you believe in. So maybe you could summarize it here as well. If you're speaking to an upcoming leader, what advice would you give them? I think it's all in creating an environment where, where people feel safe and they feel cared for and they they believe they can communicate uh, openly uh, when something is not going wrong or, or going well and it's it's wrong in their eyes and and they're looking to you to help lead them through it. And they don't have to feel threatened that their job or their standing is gonna be in jeopardy by, by being honest. And, and I think it also means accepting them wholly as, as who they are. I mean, people can't check their personal lives at the door. Uh, to me, that's another falsity. I mean, you have to accept that those things are gonna have implications on their, their job. And, and so you have to care for the whole person. And, People are wanting that. Uh, they are wanting mentorship and they are wanting somebody to walk alongside them. And, and I think for leaders too, you have to understand that you must continue learning. And that's not just from the book or from business forum groups that you're a part of or speakers. Those are all, those are all things that are of high value and, and I find value in them. But it's also understanding that you can learn as much from your people as they can learn from you, probably more. That you can learn from them. And, and that keeps an open-mindedness that it's not just top-down. We are equal here. We are learning together and trying to move forward. And I think that's something I've I've realized significantly in the last couple of years is that I'm I am always learning more from my people than they are than they are learning from me. But that just enables me to lead them better and to understand them personally. And and you know the thing that I've mentioned earlier, if, if you're in a position of leadership, you can't just assume or want people to think like a leader. I mean, that only certain people are cut out for that. So don't force upon things that that are unfair and then get disappointed when you don't get the results that you want from them. It's really, my wife used to say this all the time, and she was a fourth grade teacher who stays at home now with our, our three children. But they always say in those circles, you have to meet people where they are. And, and you have to do that from a leadership standpoint to be successful because everybody's different. You can't fit them in. It, it has to be uh, adaptable and flexible, you as the leader, because you, you need that from your people as well. 
Yeah, and I think I think this leadership concept all the way down through the organization is one that has to be viewed in the context of what the people you're talking to do, as you're suggesting. And for us, one of our phrases is leadership does not require designated authority. What that means is that everybody can have a chance to be a leader, but to your point, you have to be able to understand how and help them understand how what they do affects the results or the objective of the, of the organization or the process or the task at hand. And if you can do that, you can actually engage them and empower them to do things at their level with what they control to be successful. And, and that's, you know, that that causes people what we've seen to take on leadership roles to suggest something new or different or the next step or next generation of improvement or what it might be. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, helping people understand how what they do affects the objectives of the organization is absolutely a key to unlocking their ability to, to lead at whatever level or they desire or level they are at an organization. Let me just add quickly, Charlie, that, yeah, I believe everybody is a leader in some capacity. It's just different than what we expect, our, our leadership style. And I, I think that's the part that needs to be recognized. Yes, everybody's, everybody is a leader. They can be the example and, and a, a big example in, in just their behavior and what they do. And, and some, it's communication. Others, it's, it's action. Uh, so, yes, wholeheartedly. But we just can't expect everybody to lead like we lead. And, and that's where we need to meet them. Right, no, 100%. Um, let me go back just a little bit to, to clarify. So when we talk about uh, care and respect, it also applies to when a person doesn't fit in an organization or in their role. And so it's not saying that, okay, everybody's here, everybody has to stay here, everybody is in the right place. We have to recognize that some people that are in the wrong fit are also gonna be unhappy and, and, and unfulfilled, if you will, in their journey to wherever they're going. You've talked about various places. You've stopped on the way. I've stopped a million places. Everybody has. So it's important to have conversations with people about the fit and what their abilities are and help them get to another place, even sometimes when that's outside the company. Have you had experience with that? Yes. And, and it's so incredibly important. That's another area that I've, I've changed quite a bit as you as you go and, and advance in your leadership and just get more experience. The expectation early on was that, you know, we want people to stay forever. And that if they leave, that it's something we did wrong, uh, a failure, or if they don't fit, it's a failure on our part, whether it, it be training or, or some other facet of their development. And, and as you get into the game for a while, you realize that sometimes people don't fit and, and we're not a good fit mutually. And that it is indeed disrespect and a disservice to them to keep them around in that capacity. Uh, not only does it disallow them from finding something that they're a better fit, but it can also turn into a, a treacherous situation culturally uh, where it just, there's a disjointedness that, that comes out of leaving them uh, be. So I, I think once you look at it and it goes back to Jim Collins, you know, right seat, are they in the right seat? First, yes, we look at that as objectively as possible organizationally and say, okay, is there another role? Is, is the certain things that they're good at? Do they, do they mix better? Can they bring value elsewhere? And if, if that's not the case, then there has to be this, this conversation that we just don't think this is the best fit for either one of us. And that's okay. And I think before I used to think, well, that's not okay because there's a failure somewhere or we got the wrong person. 
I mean, nothing is a hundred percent certainty and hiring is tough. You can't, you can't gauge, you know, how they're going to come in uh, and perform number one or totally fit in. You can think they're a culture fit, but there's not this exhaustive, you know, plan or where you can drop them into, to see. And then over time, you, people change, companies change. So everything is changing. So th sometimes it's just not a fit. And that's okay. And I, I've looked at that. You've got to have that courtesy to tell them and not hold them back and free them. And I think after the initial sting of, of those moments, everybody takes a deep breath and they can come back and be like, yeah, that was, I've never had anybody come back and say, oh, that was the worst thing ever that they, they usually come to realization that it was the best decision. Uh, but getting there has not always been easy. But now I don't I don't look at it as a, a slap in our face if someone doesn't fit or on the other side that they leave because they realize they're not a good fit. It's just a part of the natural attrition of the business. Now, if you start having, you know, 90 percent of your people turnover, then there's a problem that is uh, <laughs> then greater than just a couple individuals. But on an individual basis, yeah, that the key is the respect and and helping free them so both sides can can move on and, and find something that, that is better and of more value. Oh, that's absolutely important. Um, well, you know, I want to really thank you for your time. I, I'm sure that your story is going to inspire our listeners to learn and grow further. We have different stories on each of these episodes, and it's so important for you to describe what you've seen, what you've learned, and how you've grown. And I really appreciate your time and sharing that with us today. Well, Charlie, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really honored that you, you had me on as part of this episode. And I, I do hope that, that people can take away a few of those, those nuggets and application and, and have something resonate with their own story. Great. Thank you. I want to thank Jared Latch for being with us today. And I especially want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Power of Respect. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the podcast and visit our website at expertsinhow.com. A quick reminder. If you'd like to read my book, The Power of Respect in Business, it's available on Amazon. And my latest book, The Power of Legacy and Family Business, will be published soon. Thanks again for listening. And remember, respect builds trust, trust builds relationships, and relationships are the key to leadership. This has been The Power of Respect podcast with Charlie Likewise, author of The Power of Respect in Business. To listen to more episodes and learn more about Charlie's leadership development programs, visit his website, expertsinhow.com.